And uh, there's many things that are happening. Somebody asked me earlier, they said, okay, about the regatta, uh, can we like practice? Because we don't know what we're doing. Yes, we can. On Tuesday at 4.30, we're going to gather down at Bayfront for those who need to practice, like me, I'll be there. And uh, we'll be practicing till about 6 around there. And then uh, Thursday, we'll also practice again. So we'll, we'll see how we do. And uh, we're going to have to huli and all that stuff. So... Uh, if you don't know how to swim, bring a life jacket, please. And, uh, and we're going to have a great time. Also, following our regatta Saturday, next week Sunday uh, is our Forerunners Day. It's, our, it's when we honor our kupuna in our service. So those of you who are our kupuna, our seniors, that next week you get free breakfast. So I didn't mention that third, uh, first service, so I'm not sure if... Those are in the first service know that, so you might have to spread the word. But it's just a way to honor those that have done so much for us in this next generation coming up. Uh, you have given over and beyond. You raise us. You raise the grandkids. Uh, you put up with us. You you you're very patient with us, and we just want to say thank you for all that you do and for the love that you share with the rest of the community. So if you are, I don't know what the age is, but I, I'm sure you do, but uh, it's, you're going to have a free breakfast and we're going to have a wonderful service. Pastor Alex and Pastor Pauline, along with myself, will be speaking next week. And uh, just to, again, lift up those that have gone before us and have paved the way to make this a better community. Okay, so that'll be happening next week. Okay, uh, what else are we talking about? We are, we are actually in the uh, midst of our series, God and Us. And we've actually been talking about how to partner with God in the things that He's doing. And like we said later on in our service, we're going to be uh, receiving the offering that you have been saving for in the Save to Save campaign. And so uh, I'll give some instruction later on how to do that. Uh, and we all prepare for that. We've all heard the Lord, and, and many of us have said yes to it. Uh, some of you are new today, and you're wondering, what is this save-to-save save deal? Uh, some time ago, we built the courtyard so that we could have more room when we had different functions going on. Well, it's not finalized yet, and we need to uh, cover it and, and do things like that. And so many of us have been saving for a couple months and to finalize the structure, but it's not just for that. We're actually giving to a God who will bring all of our resources together and do something wonderful for His kingdom so that people can know Him, so that people can find Him, and so that people can draw close to Him. That's why we're calling it Save to Save, that we saved of our finances in the hopes that someone might get saved. And I'm grateful for those who gave before I came to know the Lord, before I came to church. It was the hearts that were given prior to me arriving, that allowed me to find Jesus Christ. And so we're investing in eternity. We're investing in the things of God rather than putting up a structure. Non-Christians can put up a structure. But something happens in the heavenlies when we as God's people say, we're going to give to you, God, and then you're going to do something magnificent. And so that's what it's for. Uh, some of you will be sitting here in service, and then God will speak to you, and then He'll say, you're, you're going to be a part of that. You're going to struggle with it a little bit. Uh, some of you, God has already spoken to you, and you're saying, no, I'm 100% on board. 
And then there are some that God says you are not to give. And for whatever reason that God speaks it, then you obey God. But it's all of us getting prepared. We all prepare for things. I, I love going to the movies and I'll prepare before I sit down in the movies. And some of you do too. You get your snacks, right? And what I do is I go get our popcorn. We must have large popcorn because you can get the refill. And then two mochi crunch, right? Two bags. Just in case somebody asks, you don't take yours. You use that other one to share. And if nobody asks, now you get two. So that's the whole deal behind it. It's a win-win, win-win situation. And then I get a, uh, a large uh, the bottled water. And then the chili and cheese nachos. That's the snacks. Well, the movie is long. Come on. It's like a two-hour movie. What else are you going to do after you watch? you gotta, you got to have snacks along the way. And then you prepare, and then you sit down. There's no possible way you're going to go in the movie, sit down, wait, and then go get snacks. Some of you get irritated when people do that. And I'm, I'm the type of person, if I go and get snacks like during the movie and I come back, I'm asking tons of questions. And Heidi's like, just watch. I'm like, yeah, but who's that? Is that the guy? Is that the one who did it? No. He said, just watch. Yeah, well, how come he's in that car now? Why is he in that car? What did I miss? Just tell me what I missed. I'm missing something. Be quiet. Next time, get your snacks earlier. So we'll all prepare before we go into the movies. We'll prepare for church. Uh, this morning, we did like sound checks and we'll check the lighting and we'll, we'll put on the mics and all of these things. Uh, we'll, we'll get our clothes ready. We'll iron our clothes. We'll get our shoes out, everything ready. Some of you got ready this morning and some of you were late because you were getting ready this morning. And some of you are like, hurry up. We're going to be late for church again. I told you, get your clothes ready last night and, and you'll prepare differently. Some of you will put on your uh, makeup. Some of you women will put on your makeup. And then you'll, you'll look at your attire. And then you'll look at your earrings and say, don't match. Then you'll change shoes. Then you put on your blouse. And then the buttons broke. Oh, I got to change shirt. Oh, now I got to change pants. Oh, now I got to change shoes. Oh, the earrings. Oh, my cell phone no match. Oh, my car, different color. So it's like we all prepare differently. Some of us take two minutes. We get up, brush teeth, no need hair, put on hat. We go. And some of us take a little bit longer. We, we all prepare for things differently. Now, what about when it comes to a perfect God? How do you prepare your heart for a perfect God? Well, what if God wants to move in my life? What if He wants to move in my marriage, in my relationships, in my family, at work, with my children, in the way I think, or my attitude, my finances, my serving time? When I, when I do things for Him, how do, how do I prepare my heart for a perfect God? There's two people that we're going to look at in the Bible, actually a couple more, but two, two people that we're really going to focus on, and, and their names are Cain and Abel. And some of you know them and already you're thinking, oh great, well, where is this going to go? Because I know what happened to Abel. Cain and Abel were the ones that were born from Adam and Eve. And I'm going to read from the book of Genesis, and you have your notes that you can take out in your bulletin. By the way, in your bulletin, there's a special offering envelope, and that's where you can put your save to save if you're going to be a part of that. But uh, this part, Genesis chapter 4, I'm going to read. It's not in your notes. But in Genesis chapter 4, it talks about Cain and Abel and, and what took place when they prepared their hearts for God. Because all of us, sometime in our life, are going to have to prepare ourselves for God. Because He wants to move in our lives. 
And we're actually going to learn three practical solutions in preparing our hearts for God. And in the book of Genesis, chapter 4, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Now they understood that life could be taken away. They, they, They understood that. In fact, when Abel offered his sacrifice, he had to shed the blood from the animal because he offered the fat. And he prepared the offering unto God. And now, God respected Abel's offering, but he did not respect Cain's offering. And that word respect actually actually means to, to gaze at. It's like God took out some attention and focused on Abel's offering but not Cain's. He gazed at Abel's offering. It's like Abel's offering caught God's attention. But there's something that takes place in order for God's eyes to get caught, for God's eyes to get focused on something. And it's found in 2 Chronicles 16.9. And it says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. So in other words, what God is doing is, it's like his eyes scan this entire globe, and he's looking for hearts that are completely his. And with Cain and Abel, when Abel brought the first of his flock, the heart that he brought it with is what got God's attention. Now I'm wondering... Between Cain and Abel, I'm wondering, I wonder at what point did Cain not do well? Now think about it. With Abel, he, he had to do a little bit more work than what Cain did. But if it's true that it's not about the work we do, then what is it? And at what point did Cain drift away from the heart part of the offering? And I'm wondering, maybe when, when Abel was picking out the best from his flock, that he continuously looked and it's like his intention was more than just finding one of the animals from his flock and saying, okay, this will do. No, he was intentional about what he was doing. He found the very best and he had to slaughter this animal and then clean it out and get the fat and then sacrifice this to God. That was his offering. And I'm wondering if Cain was watching and, and Cain came with either his fruits or vegetables or, or did he come with grain? And maybe he looked at his offering and he said, boy, it's, I mean, uh, 
A cabbage is a cabbage. There's, there's no thought put into it. What, what can I do with this? I mean, I'm wondering if he started to compare himself with Abel. And maybe along the line, maybe his heart started to drift a little bit. Or maybe, maybe he just went through the routine. But whatever the case, Cain's heart was different than Abel's. And Abel's offering captured God's attention. You know, when we, when we do things in our families, in our marriages, when we prepare our hearts for God, when He wants to speak to us and when He's asking us to obey, there's things that go on inside of us that cause us not wanting to obey God. We have feelings, we have emotions, and we don't want to. But there's certain things that must happen in order for us to obey God. There's certain things that must happen for us to prepare for God's heart. You see, if we look at all the things that are going on around us, and then we say, well, God, you're speaking to me in asking for forgiveness. You're speaking to me in being a better person. You're speaking to me in watching my attitude or my language. Or you're speaking to me in giving. You're speaking to me in serving. You're speaking to me with being better at encouraging my children. And we know that God is saying that. The problem is, sometimes we'll start off with, yeah, but I, I don't feel like it. Or, it's, it wasn't my fault. Or, well, they are the ones that need to change. Or, I can't. It's not possible. We start out with that. Can I encourage you in this, and we can learn this from, from Abel, is to start, and you can write this in your notes if you're taking notes, to start with God's heart. You start with His heart. See, if we start with God's heart, then we start accurately. And because God never moves, because He's unshakable, then everything He does, did, and will do will always be the same. He's, he's, he's that accurate in the things that He does. Therefore, He can be our base. He can be our foundation. He can be that which we calibrate our hearts with. He's the one that we should be going to first. And sometimes we go to other things first before we go to God's heart first. Now, how do you how do you how do you start with God's heart? How do you even explain God's heart? It's so vast. It's so wide, it's so deep. It it can become so vast that we don't understand it. How, how do we how do we even start to understand his heart? And I'm thinking of the the disciple John. You know the one that the Bible says John the one whom Jesus loved. That's how it's worded. That John was recognized as the one whom Jesus loved. Not that he favored John, but then people recognized that, that yeah, Jesus, he loves John. It's a special love for him. And I'm wondering, what, what, what was it like to, to begin to understand that Jesus had a heart like that? For John. And I'm wondering now, John, he's writing in the New Testament, he's writing the book of John, and he's, he's trying to understand and trying to articulate God's heart. And, and, and he, he wants, as he's writing this, wants to say it in such a way that we can understand. And so now he's writing and he's thinking, okay, how am I going to put this in words? Because I'm sure it... He took some thought into writing words. 
And maybe he was there thinking, well, you know, everybody says that, that I'm the one whom Christ loves. And maybe that's their perspective, but boy, I, I see more than that. I see that, and he started with God's heart. He said, for you, God, you're the one. You don't just love me, but you so love everyone, every community. You, you love the world that that your heart is to give. You gave your one and only Son, the only one of its kind. There's, there's no other like Him. You gave Him to us because your heart is that none shall perish. That you so love the world that you gave your one and only Son that anyone who believes in Him, not just me, not just His disciples, not just people who look holy, it's everyone, anyone who says yes to Him, anyone who who draws near to Him and confesses Him. You love the world so much that you gave your one and only Son that anyone who believes in Him will not perish, but they'll have a life beyond this life. They'll have everlasting life. And I'm wondering if John, he, he, he understood God's heart. And he said, this is, this is where we start. And that's what he wrote in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. No one else can do that. And John caught that. And John said, this is what I'm going to write. You see, when I start with the heart of God in any area of my life, I now become intentional in everything that I do. Everything becomes so crystal clear that nothing nothing distracts me. That I'm so focused on who God is and I start with His heart and I'm intentional about the things that I do that even if even if things don't go as according to my plan, I'm okay because I'm starting with God's heart. See, God is intentional when it comes to giving. He's intentional about the things that He does. He's intentional about loving. It's not just random. It's not just things happen. He's intentional. And once we start with the heart of God and we develop that kind of intentionality, then the things that we do and, and the things that we say and, and how we behave... The end result is different because we're starting with the heart of God. When we were early on in our marriage, Heidi and I, when, when I would do certain things and, and then I knew God was speaking and He was saying, you need to do better in this. Whether it was coming home late, uh, not telling the truth, uh, doing things that were not pleasing to Him, I would have to shore up on that. I would have to get better at that. But I needed to do it with intention. I had to do it not just, well, Lord, you spoke this to me. I went to church and hopefully things work out. No. If I was late coming home, I had to make sure I was coming home on time. I had to be intentional about coming home on time. I still battle with that. Still working at that. But now it's intentional. It's not just, well, if I'm late, I'm late. It's intentional. The words that I speak. i got to be cautious of the words that I speak. The way I speak to Heidi. I must be intentional about the way I speak to treat her kind. Why? Because God treats me kind. You see, when we start with the heart of God, then everything becomes intentional. And as we prepare our hearts for Him in any area, even in our marriage, our family, when He, 
when we're preparing our hearts for Him to move in our life, we start with His heart. And then we're able to do the things that He asks us to do. Then our hearts grab His attention. Abel offered his offering in such a way that it caught God's heart. See, when I start with the heart of God and I develop this heart for God and my heart becomes just like His, every challenge that comes my way, we're able to get better and better at because it's done with intention. It's not leaving it up to chance or the hope that things get better, but we make things better because of God's heart and starting with that. We can do much better. Well, you might think, well, I don't, I don't know how to. I really don't know how to. I know what God is saying, but I don't know how to go from A to B. I don't know how to do that. Even with the save to save, I, I, I know what God is saying, and, and many of you have already made the decision, but some of you will still struggle with it. And, and you're wondering, well, I don't know how to do these things. Well, think about it. God will never ask us to do something that He has not already done. He will always set the example. When God asks me to love, God first loved me. When God asks me to serve, He first served me. When God asks me to give forgiveness, He first forgave me. When God says, no, you need to give encouragement, He first gave me encouragement. God will never ask us to do anything that He hasn't already done first. That's what 1 John says in 4.19, We love Him because He first loved us. You see, He's the one that took initiative. And when we don't know how to do something, start with God's heart first, because He'll show us how to do what we don't know how to do. To be a better father, go to the perfect father. To be a better parent, go to the perfect parent. To be a better person, go to the one who died on the cross for us. Start with his heart. And I know sometimes we don't feel like it. You know, emotions get the best of us. We know what to do. It's just that feeling. It's like when, when you get into an argument or you, you, you do something bad and, and now you're saying, oh, I know I have to make it right. And God says, yes, you do. And I'll give you the power and strength. And you say, but I don't feel like it. I like being mad. And it's not my fault. It was her. It was him. It was them. I, 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 it's not me. But you know, you know that, that the Holy Spirit keeps nudging at you and you can't get away from it? It's like you try to run away from it, but it just does not happen. And He's speaking. And so how, how do we do that? Because our feelings and our emotions override our obedience to God. Here's your second point, and, and this takes some effort. Will, W-I-L-L, must override feelings. You know that will that God gave to us? He gave that to us because He knew that we won't always feel like obeying Him. He's a smart God. Sometimes I don't feel like it, but I will. Sometimes I don't feel like doing certain things, but I will because God said so. Sometimes we don't feel like making things right, but we will. Why? Because God said so. And God will give us the strength to do it. There are times where you're not going to feel like making things right, 
in your marriage. You're not going to feel like giving encouragement to someone. You're not going to feel like it, but if God says so, then you will. That's how powerful God, God is in us when He's given us a will that connects with Him. Remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Before He went to the cross, He had some emotions. He had some feelings. In fact, He told God, He said, If possible, can this cup be taken away from me? If possible, can, 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 can there be another way? And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I'm wondering if Jesus was just saying, I don't feel like it. I mean, I don't, I don't think any of us would feel like dying on the cross. I think the human side of Jesus Christ, being all God yet being all human, the human side of Him understood feeling, emotion. Which means he understands what we go through. But remember his words when he ended? He said, well, but hang on. God, not my will, but let your will be done. It's like Jesus was saying, my will will overcome how I feel right now. I don't want to, but because you asked me to, I will. I don't feel like it, but I will. I don't want to go to the cross, but I will. It's like that willpower that God gave to us when connected with Him, with Him, God and us, becomes an unstoppable force. And Jesus said, no, not my will be done, but your will. There's another man by the name of Saul, who was the first king of Israel. His responsibility was to be the king. He wasn't to do the priestly things and, and to burn the sacrifices, but there was one instance where... People were waiting for Samuel to come to offer the sacrifice. And Saul is there, and he's just waiting and waiting. And, but after a while, Saul just took it upon himself, got the sacrifice, sacrificed it to the Lord, which was a no-no. He was not supposed to do that. Samuel comes on the scene, and he says, Hey, what are you doing, Saul? And he says, Well, you know, you're kind of taking long, so I figured, you know, might as well. And, you know, the people are here and, you know, it's, it's, an, it's an offering to God anyway. And Samuel, he corrects Saul and it's in 1 Samuel chapter 15, 22. He says, well, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to His voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. And Samuel is saying, you know, when we operate on obedience and submission, then it really doesn't matter what the scoreboard says in my life. My will to obey overcomes and wins over my feelings. That willpower that God gave to us. And when God speaks and I obey His voice, I unlock the blessings that would have been withheld otherwise. It's like that will to obey is that key that opens the doors of blessings in my life. Following feelings tend to lock doors and put me in places I don't want to be. Will must override feelings. Why? Because I represent the Lord. I represent Him. And God will continuously give me opportunities for heart tune-ups. 
It's like when you go in for a heart checkup or you go in for a physical, they check your heart to make sure it's okay. God will give us opportunities to have heart checkups. And so he says this in Colossians 3.17, So whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Yeah, in whatever we do, in, in our marriage, in our relationships, in whatever you do, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. You're not doing it just because it sounds great. You're saying, no, I'm going to, my will to obey you, I'm doing this because I represent you. That's how I'm preparing my heart for you, God. I'm doing this because you said so. And when we prepare our hearts for God and He speaks, boy, it's, it's not that obedience becomes easier. But boy, the end results are so much grander. And when God speaks and we have that, that, that tension and our will to obey overrides our feelings, boy, it's like He says, well, the windows of heaven I can open up. Because your will to obey overrides your feelings. Will it be difficult? Absolutely. Will it get messy? It may. It may even challenge my walk with God. That's why my faith is required. And you can write this in your last point. When God speaks, just take a step of faith. You don't need to jump. You don't need to leap too far. Just take a step of faith. Whenever He speaks, in whatever He speaks, just take a step of faith. When things aren't going right and you have to make something right or a relationship goes bad, and He says, oh, you need to make it right, just take a step. You don't, you don't have to do anything magnificent. Just, just a step of faith. When he says, oh, you got to clean up your language. Oh, okay, one swear word at a time. Okay, God, I'm kind of, you know, all over the place. But I understand one at a time. And go from 100 a day to 99. And then 98. And then after a year or so, you're, you know, pretty good. Once in a while, it'll slip out. Once in a while. And then God says, okay, you're doing so much better. Or sometimes we'll say things that, that hurt other people and we don't intend to. And God says, oh, go make it right. Oh, but I, that's not what I intended. It's okay. Just take a step of faith. Just a little step of faith. When He says to give, take a little step of faith. Again, it's the heart when it comes to God. Some of, some of us are sitting here and God is saying, I want you to serve. And you're like, I don't have time. He says, just take a step. Just a small step. Once a month. Once a quarter. Once a year. Something. Just take a step. And you'd be amazed at what God does from that. You'll look at your marriage and, and your family and say, oh, it's falling apart. And God says, okay, just don't take a step back. Just take one small step forward. Yeah, but she's not listening. He's not changing. She's not changing. Yeah, just take a step of faith. And you know what is amazing? That God will meet you there. He'll say, no, I, I'm already there. So when you get there, I'll still be there. You're not going ahead of me. You're just taking a step of faith. And you're going in the right direction. Listen to what happened with Cain and Abel. In, uh, excuse me, with Cain. Uh, Hebrews 4.11 By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it being dead, still speaks. My prayer is that I would live my life in such a way that when I'm long gone from this earth, I still am able to speak. Because there are people that we have loved that have since gone on with the Lord, 
or people who we may not know so well, but for some reason they've lived their life in such a way that they still speak. It could be a parent, it could be a loved one, it could be someone who changed history. And we're we're still able to hear their voice. Just like the courtyard as we build this. It's not so that a building will go up. It's so that when we're long gone, people can still capture God's heart. That even in our giving, we'll still be able to speak. And God looked upon Abel's offering and He said, You captured my heart. Why? Because that's the heart I'm looking for. Because it's not about the offering. God testified of His gift. It's like God was witness of His gift. He says, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I search for. That heart like that. And it captures God's heart. It captures His attention. When God speaks, just take that step of faith. You know, God will never give us more than we can actually handle, the Bible says. Sometimes we want to. We want things to change that fast, and which is good. If somebody changes that you've been praying changes, great. And if you're trying to change and do better, you don't need to take a huge jump. Just take a little step. Because sometimes we try to take that leap, and then we fall at the end, and then we feel horrible. Just take a little step and take, get your balance and say, Okay, that was good. Okay, I asked her for forgiveness. I asked him for forgiveness. That's the step I took, God. You met me here. Good. Okay, I'm going to take another step. I'm going to do better with this. Okay, I'm going to take another step. I'm going to get better at that. Okay, I'm going to get into your word. I'm going to get better at this. And you just take those little steps, and it's just every step of the way. You don't have to jump so far. Just take a step. Because He will only really light up what you can see and not overwhelm you with what you cannot see. As Psalm 119 tells us in 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's like He prepares the way. Because it's, it's His eyes that move to and fro throughout the entire earth, looking for hearts that are entirely His so that He may strongly support those whose hearts are His. I pray that we capture God's attention as we prepare our hearts for Him.